right. So I want to talk about my process of like doing talks and speaking, right? And one specific aspect of it, which is like, why isn't it as much fun anymore as it used to be? It's fun when I'm on stage because I love interacting with an audience. And there's also, I don't know when I implanted this belief in my mind, but there's this like magical belief. There's this program that runs that when I see a stage, there's a voice in me that says, I'm going to be amazing. And there's a hundred percent belief. There's not a penny. There's not a little bit of doubt. There's nothing in my life. There's many areas in my life where I have full confidence. Most of the things day to day, I act out of confidence and certainty. So walking into a room and having confidence and talking to people and telling what to do and making decisions is just the way I do like live life. And I don't even know how to not be that. But there's nothing other than being on stage where the second before I have a voice that says, you are going to be amazing. You know it and everybody else knows it. Again, I don't have that. I'm going to be amazing because in everything else I do, I have the voice that says, you suck at this right now. Like you're making mistakes. You could be better. You could do more. You could... I'm very critical. And when it's time to go on stage, not that I believe that I'm the best public speaker ever. I do believe honestly that I could be, right? So that's, it's uncomfortable for me to share that because it seems like bragging and I don't like to say it. But in the spirit of doing things differently on this podcast, I'll say it. But I don't, I don't think I'm like perfect, but I have this like, this fun aspect. When I see a stage, I smile and I have this, like this rock and roll music and I'm like, I'm going to be amazing right now. And then I am, right? For myself, at least in the pe- what people tell me, I like have a great time. But the prep work before and the value I'm getting after is not as high anymore that it used to be because I used to go through this process of suffering birth before uh, creating a talk. It was always a very short process. I never, I never, I've never spent two weeks of my life preparing a talk. Like most, most public speakers in kind of the, most CEOs that do a lot of public speaking, most public speakers that I know, they spend a lot of time preparing their talks. I could never do this. If, if I ever had to prepare it for a whole week, I would never do a pub, like I would never do a talk in my life. But I had this, this formula where the day before the talk, I would open my laptop, I would open a PowerPoint and I would start thinking, what the fuck am I going to say tomorrow? What is my talk? And that day, the process of creating the talk, coming up with a story, the angle, the what is the thing I want to talk about, that was something that while I was creating it, I was suffering, like the, the birthing of it, because there's like a, a lot of tension in my body, a lot of like, oh, I don't know, it's this, uh, because it's the blank slate of the writer. It's like, I don't know how to start. Like what? It, and it's the pressure that I know. I'm at the hotel. It's 9 p.m. I should go to sleep in two hours. And my talk is at 10 a.m. tomorrow. Like that pressure would create, it would not be a pleasurable experience. Those two hours, I did not feel fun. Right? But that sort of worked for me to like, I would go in these wrong directions and I would go back and forth and I would take a piece of paper and I would write a list out of a Word doc and I would go and eventually I'd be like, ah, this is it. This is going to be it. This is the thing that I think this audience will love. 
and the thing this audience need to hear tomorrow and the thing I need to say tomorrow. Like this is the moment to share this story or to teach this one thing to this audience. And then I would get into like, ah, now, you know, it would take shape and I would create like usually, yes, go ahead. You want to ask a question, Ramin? Do you know why, why that kind of frame, that situation kind of brought up the best? I don't know if you're even on the audio, so I'll repeat it. Uh, Ramin just asked, do I know why this kind of framework created good stuff? I don't know. I, I do think that I sometimes work well under pressure. Not sometimes. I do think I work really well under pressure. I don't enjoy pressure, but I do work really well under it. Kevin, who used to be uh, kind of a founding team member at Close, he always, he always used to tell me, you know, when he read this book, um, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, you know, Ben Horowitz talks about wartime CEO and peacetime CEO. And when he read the book, Kevin was like, what do you think you are? And I was like, I think I'm peacetime CEO. Because to me, peacetime means I'm not at war with another company. And I've never been in a war with another person or another company. I never, that, that I don't find enjoyable. I don't want to destroy another company or win over a competitor. I don't really care. I don't want to think about them. And I don't. And he was like, not a chance. You're not a fucking peacetime CEO. Are you crazy? It's like, when things are going well, you're checking off. You're not as good. You're okay. When things go bad, you're amazing. When there's a crisis, you're incredible. Like You're just the best of the best in that moment. And that stuck with me because there's something to that. I don't necessarily love that about me. I don't love the aspect, and I've tried to get better at this to where when things go well, I slack off. I don't want that anymore. But there's something to be said that I do think, I've, if I think about the best work I've done, oftentimes it's been in crisis, I know what to do. And I know how to like show up. And maybe I create this little crisis that forces me to show up with some kind of creative brilliance. And because I don't want to prepare for it for a really long time, that works. The startup chat is similar to a certain degree in that... We don't prepare for it. I think in the early days, we had an infinite amount of things we were curious to talk about. So it was just fun. Now, there's a certain suffering of me coming up with what the topic should be the day before Friday. Fridays, we record the startup chat. It's three episodes, three or four, four episodes at this point that we record and the hour that we always do. And by now, this is inside knowledge. It's basic by now. The last two years, I'm the only person that's coming up with topics. Heaton has kind of relaxed into not coming up and suggesting any topics anymore. And so, so Thursday evening, I'm like, oh shit, it's Thursday. Tomorrow I'm recording with Heaton. I open the spreadsheet with, with all the topics. And I'm like, what the fuck are we going to talk? I need like five or six things for us to pick four. I'm like, what are we going to do? That now is a new like suffering moment. It's not fun. But I always like, usually I'll come. I mean, I've been coming up with something every Thursday for two years. So I typically come up with something. But so, so maybe it's that. I don't know. That's a good question. What's the, the kind of the first time you remember there was a crisis and then you withdraw the lesson? What was the first time I remember showing up in a crisis and being good at it? Shit, that's a really good fucking question. I don't know. I remember going through a bunch of crises, a bunch of like hard moments or really difficult times as a child, but I didn't really show up there. I was not the boss or anything. 
or I had to make a lot of decisions. And then when I was, you know, when I was like 17, 18, 19, I started my entrepreneurial journey. I don't know. I have to think about this. You you should bring this up again. I mean, what was the first, maybe not the first, what's the the first crisis I remember, maybe, where things went went really wrong and I had to do something about it and I, and I did well. It's funny. I can't like, I can't remember. I can like remember a lot of shitty moments, but not like this specific, like the, 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 the most specific situation I can think of uh, maybe was like the turnaround or the pivot from elastic to close. And the day we had to let go of like half of our team, the two weeks prior, the two weeks prior and the two, three weeks after were incredibly challenging and it was very purposeful and thoughtful on how I made decisions and I think I managed that time really, really well. But that's a, that was much, I mean, that's fairly recent. That's like, I don't know, eight years ago or something, seven years ago. That's not like when I was 18, 19. During those days, I don't know. I had like a lot of, yeah, I don't know. I have to think about this some more. Where that, where that like self-belief is coming from that I'm good or how I learned to be good at this. I don't know. Is it, the thing that you're telling yourself when, when you're in that situation? I think when things go bad, I am focused on, like, what is the thing that truly matters here? It's definitely a big question I ask. There's a million things that are going wrong. There's this big crisis. Whatever. Let's say that we just figured out a massive client of ours is canceling and so we're going to lose millions in revenue and we're going to have to let go of all the people or we're not going to be able to pay the expenses we have next next month because we have too little revenue coming in next month and we didn't expect that i think my my first question is what is the most important thing right now right and so in this situation i might just go okay the most important thing is we want this business to survive this crisis okay what does this what is the bare bone minimal cash we need and to survive and then I'll, I'll think okay what are all the things we can do to cut costs down to that level what are all the ideas we could generate to make a lot more money or to fill up the holes and then i would look at those two things and make very hard choices on what is realistic and what isn't and then once i've gone through that exercise i would Figure out what is the list of tough choices this means. Like, who do we have to fire? What do we have to stop spending money on? And I think that, I think that what I've learned, if it, if it's a strong enough moment, so if I don't act, things will go terribly wrong for other people and for me. I have no problem dealing with emotional turmoil. Like, I'm really afraid to talk to this person and get, let them go. I will still do it. Like, there's just no, I'm not running away from it. If it is a little bit of something, like if it's like, it might be good to do this, but it's sort of painful and I'm a little afraid of it. And if I don't do it, nothing drastic is going to happen. Like most people probably, I can also go pregnant with a problem for longer than I should. But I think when there's a crisis, some people maybe are just not used to dealing with like overwhelming negative emotions. And so they still try to find an easier answer to the problems or easier solution. They might just go, what? We lost all this money. You know, cancel all my meetings today. I'll go home and whatever. 
like get drunk or like try to like escape this for a couple of days and try to push it away and deny it and and then try to come up with a solution that is like you know easy but not the right solution and then you know the shit hits the fan i don't have those instincts like when when i know that if i don't act now bad things will happen i'll act now and i'm not going to run away i think that a lot of people are just running away from their emotions in those cri- moments of crisis maybe part of it is probably also that i've eaten some shit in life right and so you know and you you survive that often enough there is a certain belief in me that there's not a I have fears, but I don't have, I also know that there's a lot that, a lot of things that can go wrong, a lot of things that cannot work out the way you want, and life goes on. In some way, I think I've known this for a long time. You know, I've not always practiced it on this level, but yeah. So, to round up, round up the, the speaking thing that I want to say, I think that kind of birthing of a talk, although I suffered always for two or three hours, I loved the end product. There's a lot of talks of mine. I'm sure they could be much better if I kept iterating on them later on. But I love them as products. I'm like, this is a beautiful product. And I'm like, I birthed it and it exists and and I'm proud of it. This is great. Um, And I love that. And I loved that I didn't know myself what it would be. And like I had this, I shared it with the audience and with myself. We shared that moment together because I really didn't know what I would do there. As the years have gone by and as kind of all the topics that I explored on stages, kind of, you know, especially in the sales, startup, entrepreneurship, you know, space, like a lot of those topics that I had, I already explored. And I know that the conferences that invite me, they want me to talk about sales. Like a lot of times they would tell me, you know, we want you to cover the topic of sales. I've kind of run out of the, if I can birth a completely new talk about something I've never talked about, never thought about, and it's going to be amazing for them and me. And I had to start making compromises to say, you know what, this year, like I think the first four years of public speaking, every talk I gave was like a first time. And then maybe these, maybe like two or three years ago, three years probably, I started the first year where I was like, I'm going to do 50-50. Half of my talks are going to be talks I've already given, and half of them are going to be new. And then it went from 50-50 to 75-25. And I think last year, I would have to check. We need to check this. But last year, probably almost, I think I only did one new talk. Probably every other talk I did, I had given somewhere. Many years, maybe. Not like I've never done the same talk twice or three times like in a row. Be like a three-year-old talk. This is another trick because I know nobody remembers that. Nobody's ever heard this. But it was like mostly stuff I've already done. And so that joy of birthing something completely new on the speaking side of things is not there anymore. Because of the conference I'm speaking and the topics that people want to hear from me. Like, and, and this is very much part of the reason why we have this podcast now. To like birth new ideas and talk, explore about new stories and all that good stuff. But yeah, I, the speaking... When I'm on stage, I love, I love the experience of performing live. I love interacting. And I know also on stage, I tap into a different type of creativity. Like I'll come up with a joke or with a way of saying something in a way I've never done before. There's always a little bit of like improvisation going on. 
where as a musician, I just improvise and then I'll, I'll find a hook, I'll find a melody that I'm like, this is beautiful and I'll use it again. I definitely still have that aspect of it that I really like. And there's also like a rational aspect where I'm like, I get an overwhelming response every time I talk and people tell me how much it means to them and how much they enjoyed it. And I say, see, this is a way for me to serve people in a way that I uniquely can, but I don't create these new talks anymore that I love myself. And uh, so I wonder how to get back there, if I ever get back there, or how to do about that, because I don't want to just keep doing stuff again and again and again, like I'm doing right now.